Welcome to your dose of the Sideshow Hustle Podcast. Discovering world-class side hustles and the hustlers behind them. Tune in for exclusive interviews, tips, tricks, and pitfalls so you can learn, start, and win. Here's your host. Here's your host. Hey team, it's Matt here. Our next guest, Michael, caught the hustler mindset early, selling passion fruits to his next-door neighbors. He's currently in the process of completing his MICA paramedic training and has taken some time out of his busy schedule as a working paramedic, father of two, and side hustler to walk us through his hustle and a whole bunch of other tips and tricks. We're focused mainly on the flame weeder today, which is basically a flame thrower for organic weeding. You basically burn weeds and they don't grow back. It makes health and safety experts cringe and it makes lawyers salivate. Michael started and built and sold this business and then he goes into a whole raft of other side hustles. This episode is particularly interesting because we get into all sorts of things. For instance, Michael sheds some light on how to make 60 grand a year selling very common products on Facebook Marketplace. He gives a raft of ideas. This is a diverse episode, heaps of tips and tricks. Let's get into it. Three, two, one. Mr. Michael Hingston, welcome to the podcast. G'day, Matt. How are you going? I'm doing awesome and super stoked to have you on here. I appreciate you taking the time out of your study, your important studies as becoming a specialized emergency paramedic. And let's just deep dive. Tell us about your first side hustle. So I guess the main one that had some um, reasonable success was a little company I started called Aussie Flame Weeders, which um, started when myself and my partner, Nikki had a 10-acre farm just down in uh, Kalani in Victoria. I was studying at the time and we... We had a newborn on the way and I'd sort of been interested in trying to make a profit on the small acreage that we had and um, ended up down the sort of path of small scale farming and growing vegetables and stuff like that. And at the same time, I was sort of flipping a couple of items that I'd seen in the US that were coming into Australia. They were just small little electronic devices that farmers use for making cool rooms. And then I came across this idea of um, this thing called a flame weeder, which was basically uh, organic farmers use it for growing things like carrots because uh, carrots take about two weeks to germinate. So when you've got a bare patch of ground and two weeks of germination, you have all the weeds come up and compete with the carrots, which is a lot of labor for the market gardeners. And I was sort of doing some reading about it. And if you use a bit of heat, when you pass over the vegetable bed with some heat, you basically kill these weeds that are competing with the carrots. And when the carrots pop up on day 14, they're nice straight rows and the the farmers can just weed between the rows of carrots and not have a lot of labor involved. And um, I'll sort of just rather than actually focusing on growing vegetables I started going down the realm of the tools because I, I like tinkering in the shed and stuff like that and I realised there was just one company in the US that made these flame weeders at the time and I looked online and saw that their website was really poorly done and they were always sold out for a, a couple of weeks or a couple of years actually and I just thought that's a real opportunity there there's no one really competing with them and that's when I sort of started going down the, the path of seeing whether I could make something or have something made to sell into the Australian market, which is not a big market, the market garden space. But as I'll probably tell throughout the story, the the idea changed a bit over time and opened up to just not market gardeners, but everyone that didn't want to use things like Roundup for getting rid of weeds in their driveways and stuff like that. And I, I changed a few of the, um, so the products I sold. For, I guess for someone that doesn't even have a hustle background, were you kind of looking at it going, look, this is more scalable? Like, if I sell one carrot, I have to grow one whole carrot. Whereas if I have like yeah. a tool or a product, I can sort of 
I guess you could say the carrot's a bit of a tool or a product. Like you could you could outsource the farming part of it as well, right? And get someone to grow the carrot. But like, yeah. did you look at it as more of a business opportunity in the tool? Because it's like, well, I can outsource that. I could import stuff. I could there's a myriad of ways of doing it. And I think that's one of those classic things they say when there's a gold rush, you should sell shovels. And the market gardening space was getting. I thought it, it's a still a small space, but there's there's still a market there. And I think I was sort of reflecting on a couple of questions that sent me about, you know, what was my goal at the start? And I remember thinking, oh, I want to start four businesses that make $10,000 each a year and that can sort of contribute to paying our mortgage yeah, off okay, and things that. like that. And it was a sort of pretty weird goal at the time. It was probably easier just to do one one business that makes $40,000. But that was an early, I remember that was an early goal that I was yeah, thinking. Exactly. I think you can always find a reason not to start something. You'll be like, oh, there's already other people in the market or, you know, that's too dangerous to manufacture or cost too much money or there won't be people buying and stuff. And like we were saying the other day, like I was very naive going into it because I think a bit of naivety helps starting these things because they, whatever you start, if you decide to make a small business, they require a lot more time and take a lot more time to make a, a reasonable profit than most people think. That probably leads to something else that we were just talking about, which was nobody does a side hustle or nobody does a business setting out with the, the headline of, I am planning to fail and bankrupt myself. No one does that. Everybody who ever set up a business and started or started a side hustle, they did this with the pure intentions of ideally making some money. Yeah. There's startups, which is like, you know, you can start up in your bedroom and you just micro start up. And at some point, yeah. if you get big enough and you are a startup and you're trying to make it your main hustle, you might bring in investors, angel investors, VC. There's a whole raft of ways to do that. And then there's the other people that are just doing it as a side hustle. They never really want it to go that big. It's just to supplement their income and do whatever. If you talk side hustle, everyone will go, oh, like 80% of those end up in the toilet within one year and the remaining 50% of what's left dies in the next five years. So the stats are completely skewed against you, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah. that's probably a bit of a misnomer because with side hustles, they effectively fire up and fire down as you need them. Like, that's right. You're not, you're not reported as failures either. They're just, and, and some of the ones that are reported as failures is the person just moved on in their life and they're no longer doing that thing. It yeah. isn't a failure. It just, it had a purpose. It served its purpose. It's over. Thinking about the sort of numbers I generated, it was over about two and a half years, I grossed about $90,000. You'd think, oh, that's, that's a huge amount of money. That's a big amount of money to me. But at the end of it, I didn't have a lot of money to show for it because the margins I was making, I was making, say, 50% margins, but I was getting the the, um, the flame wedges manufactured at different places around Australia. So the Australian labor was high. And then I did import other parts coming in, which was quite expensive because I had to put a markup on it. But if you just looked at a dollar value, you'd be like, oh, well, that was sort of a waste of time. You know, you didn't make a lot of money from it. But I did. I, I probably pulled out over the course of the the business for a, say five to ten thousand dollars in cash and then when i sold it for approximately ten thousand dollars and then on top of that there's also business expenses that people don't realize that when you're starting a side hustle you can run a lot of business expenses through the business rather than out of your payg income if you're working on the side yeah so you've got all those expenses that so much they may not look like profit and money in your bank but you know if you're paying for your phone or you know buying yeah, computers yeah, and all that sort of stuff it all it all adds up so you can sort of acquire things and i think that's a good thing to look at with side hustles you might I sort of approach things when I'm looking at interested in buying something that might be expensive now is how can I sort of monetize this business so that the item I want, say, for example, a 3D printer, how can I make a small business out of it rather than yeah. just buying something that costs three or $4,000 if I can make a business that pays for it. It doesn't have to be a, a six-figure business 
side hustle. Yeah. It can just be enough to sort of pay for your habit or your hobby. If there's something that I really want, and let's say it's a holiday or something, then it'll be like, okay, side hustle mapped up against that. How do I make X amount of dollars to go do this thing? And then there's the other part, which you just spoke about, which is I'm after a 3D printer. I mean, they can get expensive too. It could go into you know, a car. There are all That's right. avenues of stuff that people get into. Like people set up rental businesses, buy machinery that they need for their or whatever for the, they want to use and it's right. just expensive through the business and then they rent it out on the weekends as a rental business but Monday to Friday they can use it on their permaculture farm or whatever. I've got a good example that Nikki's looking at. She's a really keen dancer and we've been eyeing off a dance floor, a portable dance floor and she wants that for, she teaches lessons each week and then I think like I'm rubbing off on her in terms of that she started to think, oh well we could hire out the dance floor when we're not using it you know, for the dancing. I was like, now that's a good way to look at it. You know, you might have people there want outdoor weddings and things like that. Now that you're not, you're not going to make tens of thousands of dollars doing that, but you just put a post on marketplace and you might get someone, you know, hire this dance floor for two or $300 and it's, it's set up for the weekend. Now that might not even work, but that's just the way to look at these things sometimes. I think, yeah, hiring things out is a good idea. Well, I think that's a really good side hustle. If you have something that you know is um, valuable to other people but you don't use all the time, that could be a great side hustle. It's, um, yeah, I guess big picture, <clears throat> like for anybody listening that's thinking about it, it's in almost everything that you do in your life, your wants and your needs, you can almost always ask of it, like, is there a side hustle here? You know, we haven't worked out one for the Cybertruck yet, have we, with Tesla? That's a, that's well, a big goal. <laughs> well, we could put a podcast sign down the side of it. Um, and it's a, just a marketing tool. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> you know, things like that. What sort of jobs require travel? Like, my wife's an ecologist, so we've spoken about, like, well, maybe you need a car and a van to head off to remote jobs and a lot of jobs that come through to her are remote and she just turns them down because she can't use too too much travel but if you were on the road anyway all of a sudden you can expense parts of the trip i mean this is where it gets fuzzy and i guess accountants start getting involved in the ato and it, it can get a bit fuzzy but and part of that's seeking the right advice and having been around long enough to know what you can and cannot do that's right um, it's it's all a bit murky but i guess Having the thought and the idea is probably the first part, and then validating it's probably the second part. Nobody starts their side hustle to fail. Yeah. What do you think are the common reasons why a side hustle will fail or get someone into trouble? Mm, That's a good question. I was thinking about some of the failures, and I I certainly had them (laughs) along the way. I took a long time to get the product out to market, and I, I think a bit of background info that got sort of showed like I just thought thought of this product. The first thing I did was actually import these things called cool bots, and I sold them to these market gardeners, and I made a small margin on them. But that was an easy business, you know. I remember buying you know three four thousand dollars worth of these cool bots, and I think I walked away with like I say a thousand dollars profit out of selling ten or twenty of these items. But as the US dollar changed and things like that, it didn't seem very profitable. But that sort of just opened my eyes to like, hey, this is fun. Like selling these things. I think I was just selling them on Facebook, you know, just putting them in Messenger when people were sort of looking for things. I've got some of those available. And, you know, that's how it was sort of word of mouth stuff. And that's how I sort of got into the investigating what the market gardeners in Australia were looking for and sort of found that they were looking for these flame weeders. I was busy at the time. We we just had Finbar, our little boy, and I was studying full time, doing my intensive care paramedic training. It was sort of like an out for me whilst I was studying as well. It was something I could do in my downtime that wasn't related to work that I enjoyed doing and investigating. And at the time I applied for a, something called the SproutX AgTech Accelerator. Basically it was like the inaugural one. There was a hundred applicants of people trying to bring AgTech products into the Australian markets. 
a lot of these guys had these huge startup ideas and I remember just thinking mine was really small scale. Like I was only looking to make ten or twenty thousand dollars. But at the end of the hundred people, there wasn't a lot of people that actually got something to market and I did, you know, like that, that's what I sort of took as a positive. Sometimes you don't have to think too big about what it's going to become. It's going to not going to become a multi million dollar business. It might just be a six figure business and that's a really good outcome. You took Flame Weeder as an idea and presented it at like a startup kind of hub. Yeah, or whatever they call yeah. It. So it was all sort of done online, and it was sort of just an introduction and power, you know, talking about things like minimal viable products and how to market, how to pitch, and all this sort of stuff. And I think if you if you basically did the six week or ten week course, which was just like an hour a week on online, you got a thousand dollars as well. And they were basically hoping to find some diamonds in the rough of these small businesses and companies and they did i've got a mate who went on to end up in china manufacturing something for a sheet monitoring device that's you know making him an income now a good business so that's how they sort of um they structured this and it's still running now these accelerators i think they're a good thing for people to look into just to give you a bit of hold your hand when you're starting out and you're not sure what to do if you look at the side hustle world it's probably split and there's people that F the system, I'm doing it my own way. Like the whole point of this is to escape the rat race and escape a boss and escape reporting to somebody. And I want to yeah. do it my own way, my own pace, et cetera. And then there's others that lack the experience, don't know, and like the structure of going into something like that. And then yeah. the support that comes out of it. I guess there's a financial element to it. If you don't have the resources to implement your idea, you can... Yeah, these accelerator programs up for money. I mean, obviously they're bigger in the states than they are in Australia. Yeah, they're sort of probably big picture ideas, and those companies generally want you know um, internet based businesses that can scale and make them hundreds of millions of dollars and stuff like that. They don't want sort of small players like myself in that realm. But a lot of those startup ideas do fail because they're they're hard to get off the ground and they they require a lot of money and stuff like that. So that's probably not so much a side hustle. That's the sort of startup space, but they they can meld into each other. Yeah, they do. We came back to that word failure again. No one sort of starts out to fail. So you, yeah. you had some legal problems or... Yeah, yeah. So problems. it was... Um so obviously, when you think about like saying naivety and stuff like that, like I was selling a device that had LPG gas running into it and was flammable and could cause a lot of bodily harm and death. So it was a, a stupid risky product in hindsight to look at. But as I said, I was a bit naive and I thought there's going to be ways around this. People do manufacture this stuff. And I was thinking of some of the initial failures and the reason I think you asked me why, why don't people get these things off the ground? I think a bit of it was I relied heavily on other people to help me. I didn't manufacture. I didn't do any welding or anything like that. This was all done by professionals because that was a way to legally limit my liability. And I ended up with a trust structure and insurance and all that sort of stuff. And and that's ultimately why I got out of the business as well. But we'll get to that later. That structure, by the way, like... You obviously knew straight up that there was safety concerns and that someone might, you know, could easily take off an eyebrow. And and I should also note that I have one. I have used it, and I'm going to put a video in the link for the podcast (laughs) where you can see me uh, torching some stuff. Yeah, cool. And you can see how someone could come a cropper pretty quickly with this thing. Yeah. So you always have those concerns, like... You're in that sort of side hustle mode. Do you seek legal advice or do you just go, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw, I saw legal advice. And again, I was sort of reflecting what, what, you know, what characteristics I have that probably made me successful 
per se in this business and it's the fact that I can connect with people so I just used locals that I trusted like I've got a good mate that I used to work at a pub with who's you know very high up in a legal firm here in Warrnambool and sort of sort of his advice and then he suggested a trust structure to basically protect us if anything happened and then I sought out a mate who has run successful startups himself in the past that have done very very well and he's gone into insurance and so I ended up sort of taking taking on insurance with them you know initially I was a little almost a little bit taking too much risk like I didn't have all those insurances sorted sorted out at the start and I sort of brought those things in later because when you're burning through cash at the start yeah you start to sort of go oh what do I need to get this product at least manufactured and made and then when you're bringing in lots of income you start to be like okay yeah maybe I should get that insurance sorted out I had the trust structure sorted out from the start I brought the insurance in probably probably six months into it yeah. So on that failure point of like where where do these things go ugly? It, it didn't go ugly, I guess, in terms of nothing bad. Well, some bad things happened, but no one got injured or anything like that. But I'll, I'll get to the first one where I think where people get stuck is if you're into this and you're really keen on side hustles and there's certain people that like you, you and I that, you know, you have an idea and you can iterate and you can pretty much sort of have a minimum viable idea done in a day or so if, you, if you're constantly thinking about it like I do and stuff like that. Yeah. And then there's the work that needs to get done between then and getting something out and manufacturing a product. There's a lot of work and there's a lot of money from idea to having one on sale online on the business, on the website. Yeah, packaging so, and all the logistics and what's it going to cost for your postal. Yeah, there's heaps of that stuff. I was studying out exams at the time and then we had a newborn. So I sort of became, I, I kept sort of iterating on getting the product, you know, better and better. And I remember this guy who was in the engineering, who was a, a guy I went to school with, he, he sort of just said, just get something basic out there. I've seen people try to make things too complicated. You've got to make it as basic as you can and get it out. And then, you know, you can add features on it later on. Because at the start, I had all these features. I was going to put a piezo sort of ignition system in it and this and that and to this day that you know the actual flame weeder uh, trolley that we had made up i'm not proud of it was stain- all stainless steel and i tried to make it it was all made in house and stuff like that but it was pretty ugly and it wasn't that well made in terms of functionality but that was the first product and that sort of got sold and that's how i said i, I moved towards that was a five burner model so basically it straddled each side of the the veggie bed that these people make they're about 30 inches wide and you'd wheel it down and the five burners would use up a heap of gas and then the uh, the bottle would freeze over and all this sort of stuff but it, it led me to getting to know the gas industry and some of the big players in it and they just showed me a model that they use for basically heating up asphalt and stuff for doing roof tiling and yeah. that's the one you've got now basically it, it heats up the gas before it ignites so it makes it a lot more efficient and that ended up being the best seller and since i've sold the business it's still one of the best sellers for the guy that now sells these products like it's, you know what's um, hilarious? Because I've seen those flamethrowers. They use them for like sealing tar on rooftops. Yes, sort of yes. That is exactly the technology that went into Elon Musk's flamethrower that he sold through his online shop. And he sold out in like half an hour. But he just yeah. put a nice case over it, made it look like a flamethrower. That's right. And yeah, it was. It was. He said like the hilarious thing is this is just a molded cover over a device that already existed for sealing tar roofs. <laughs> He's good at simplifying things. Oh, Elon. Oh, you could talk but, about him for days, couldn't you? Yeah, so I sort of I stalled a bit. Like, So I had the passion at the start and then, you know, I initially sought some advice from a guy in the gas industry, but I think he had some health problems at the time and he was hopeless with getting back to me with, you know, he was going to help me build the MVP and stuff like that. And he just turned out to not be always available. And I went yeah. back to one of the other big big manufacturers that, that helped me get the parts out and stuff like that. So there was a lot of interest from the market garden community and I had an email list and, you know, I pretty much almost had orders, but I had taken no money. So it was always still a, a big what if am I going to make sales? 
sales, what ended up pushing me more and more is I, I took so long to make it. It was probably about 12 or 18 months, which is – oh, no, it wouldn't have been that long, maybe 9 to 12 months. just took way too long, and I saw a company in the U.S. who had all the manufacturing equipment in-house, and they were sort of market garden tool specialists. They were bringing one out, and that pushed me to be like – there's no way I'm going to miss this opportunity to the Australian market with these US guys coming on. So that sort of pushed me to launch it probably sooner than I would have. And I think that's a big advice for people to, you will run out of um, the initial enthusiasm and the enthusiasm will then reignite once you start making sales. So that's that's the key. If you you start getting sales, you'll always be motivated to keep going, I'd say. Well, I think every, like my background is in these large system deployments, like in big multinationals and every major project go on. If you get a good project manager, they're always looking for these quick wins early in the project to set the tone that this is like a winning project. And That's like, right. And so there's like these little milestones that they go through and they celebrate these little successes because it pushes and accelerates everyone towards the, the end goal. And I think... Yes. It's so important to do it as a small operator and especially if you've got a support network around you, like, you know, wife and family and whatever, i.e. I remember the sort of the first hustle I ever did. It, it was the first sale that happened, the first dollars that came in. I think we went out and spent 200 bucks on champagne that night. And I, like, it's like, cause it was, it just, you felt giddy. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really opened your eyes to the world out there and why business is the, I think personally is the biggest wealth creation device that people can get their hands on. Like, I think another sort of failure is I spent a lot of time on like trying to make a lead magnet and getting the getting a lot of graphic design on the website and all that sort of stuff. In the future, I just use something like Fiverr or I think I can't remember the other name of that outsourcing freelance or all those sort of yeah. all those ones just to make a basic website or do it on what's the other one Shopify if you're going to do a product yeah. and just get that out and and pay pay people overseas to get the website stuff up because you can spend hundreds of hours on website stuff that doesn't really matter if you're making a product could have spent more time and getting an actual product made and sort of pushing that side of things rather than worrying yeah, about the sort of a, the look of the website and all that stuff it's a juggling act there's like yeah. and, and that's the thing yeah. that minimal viable product that everyone should be keeping in the back of their mind is like you need to go for the like minimum viable product of the product itself so you yeah. know the bells and the whistles and whatever I don't think I need them to make a sale so that's right all. but Get I do through. remember the first sale as well and that was like you know I make pretty good money in ambulance and you can make good money if you do overtime, but I think the first sale was say seven hundred dollars, and I got a little PayPal notification when I was studying, and I was like roaring in in the study, like yeah. you know, it's um, it it was a really good feeling because you like you know, I came up with an idea, you know, I tested it in the market, I put it out to the market, and they and they bought it, which is like a really big milestone, and well, it's validation that like, yeah, that's right. For all and and the reason it counts so much is because every side hustler has all of this internal self doubt. That's right, and the closer they get to the launch the more self-doubt they have exactly i think like one of the risks here is that you keep pushing out your go live or your launch date because yes. everything's not quite ready yeah i'll probably get crippled with self-doubt at times in my life i think about you know the financial success of this wasn't huge but the success of the inner confidence i've got of launching a, a business like you and that's when you hear people sort of come up with reasons not to do things you realize that they're really using it as a front for not having the confidence in themselves to to have a go at something and like you say I, I probably pushed the launch date out because it had to be perfect yeah, but, and- but it's never going to be and you need to get that feedback from the customers to, to improve 
Yeah, and if we think about that commonality of failures, it's delaying and not not sort of pulling your finger out and, and just getting the job done. There's yes. chasing an unviable product and getting caught up in upgrades and features, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're adding on the gold and the platinum level, but that's going to take you an extra three months to develop out. Exactly. In the meantime, you still haven't even made a sale. Yes. And then something else that you said that I think is really common is people underestimate the time to get to market so like suppliers don't have what you need you can't find the right manufacturer someone falls through like you literally underestimate how long it takes to even outsource a website like it sounds easy to do it you chuck it up on freelancer now you've got 50 people to go through you pick one turns out you picked a crap one yeah and i think i'd gotten to know you at the time because i was looking to change my website and i had this guy that was a real marketer and he he talked about you know getting getting this um, website done for a thousand us dollars and i wanted to update it and he just was as soon as i paid him he just he didn't disappear, but he almost did. He was just useless in terms of getting the product done. And the more I sort of bugged him, to like, you know, when are you getting the site done? He just sort of shut down on me because he was over-invested himself in making his business work, but he didn't He didn't actually uh, service his customers. And that was something that I always thought in this business, that the most important thing was the customer. Because if I have an unhappy customer in this sort of business, it can lead to a nightmare. Like if, you know, someone said, oh, and I caused a fire, and you'd be like, oh, well, it's not my problem, mate. Like my, I knew my customer, and they were sort of the organic farmer, pretty pretty cruisy happy-go-lucky person but you wanted to always look after them and i had you know had some customers one one guy who was i think he was working on this sort of startup business that they had a market garden on and they i had this the part of the fire burner flame where they had a manifold and the manifold basically is where all the burners attach and the gas runs into it and they've put a they've screwed a couple of um, tech screws through it to attach it to a, a trolley that they had so this created like a an air outlet where gas could come out they've They've sent me this video that they've tried to light it and it's been a big gas flare up and I was just like walking home from work and just thinking, what am I doing with this? Freaking this, out. The freaking out. And it turned out, you know, it was. All, I remember asking the lady who'd sent me the video, I said, have they put a screw into that manifold? And sort of realising that once you put it out into the world, there's all these things that you realise like, oh, I should have put on the, the safety instruction, don't drill into the manifold because there's high pressure flammable gas in it you think that's you just assume that people would understand that so all those things sort of they're the challenges you come up against and especially when you take on a, such a risky product like i did um they're there but i think there's a lot of a lot of side hustles that aren't that extreme and that, i'm not trying to sort of turn people off it but i'm just trying to be uh, realistic about the one i chose so i guess if we helicopter up again for a second we've got the why like you you're on a farm you're a new dad you're making good money as a paramedic. You're very interested in sort of regenerative agriculture and sort of being able to farm without using glyphosate, etc. You've got all this kind of general interest. You're an inquisitive person. You spot someone who has a tool that sort of does what you're interested in. You think to yourself, that's a good idea. Yeah. Constantly uh, sold out for 12 months in advance. There's no one else doing it. So you've found a gap in the market. Yep. You're interested in the spare cash, you're inquisitive, you win a thousand bucks in a incubator, you're to the point of you've found the manufacturer, you're to the point you've got your first sale. For anyone else looking at it, they're gonna go, Well, of the ideas that you had, so flame weeder being one, 
were there any other that were in competition or was it always Flame Weaver? There was always ideas. I'm trying to reflect back to that, but I think as I'm maturing, because I'm still interested in this whole um, side hustle business thing, it, it keeps me awake at night thinking of all these ideas. Once you turn this sort of part of your brain on, if you're this way inclined, it becomes that there's so many opportunities you've got to decide yeah, one and or two, and that's that's why I'm asking. Yeah, I think for someone like myself, I could easily have hundreds, maybe thousands of ideas in a week. Yeah, a lot of people are like idea constrained. They say I don't have enough ideas. I don't know. Yes. I, got, I got nothing. I'm, I, I feel stupid. I, yes, I don't have that problem, which on one hand is good, but on the other hand, I have this other problem, which is if you have a thousand ideas. And 950 of them are complete turds, but 50 of them potentially have legs. How do you choose one? Because, like, choosing one generally means to the exclusion of the others. Yeah. And And also, you don't want to, like, choose the wrong one because now you're wasting your time. So you get stuck in this, like, crazy little loop of I can't decide, I can't decide. And in this case, I asked the question because you did decide. Like, you you did blame weeder amongst everything else. Something I do is I I used to do it on paper or a spreadsheet. Now I just do it online. There's some key figures I'm coming up with, right? So I'm Mm. looking at how much is is it going to cost to start it and how much time do I have to put in to start it? And then theoretically, within you know one month, six months, whatever the time frame is that's relevant for that particular side hustle, how much money will I make? And yeah. the only ones that I will largely do is if the hours required to get it going are quite low because everyone's time constrained. Yeah, the cost to starting it is attainable for me at that time. So, like, it, yeah. whether it's a fifty dollars startup, whether it's a hundred dollars startup, whether it's a five thousand dollars startup, have I got the means to start it? And then, is the reward there? Because you might end up with two sitting next to each other. You're trying to decide. Yeah, and uh, I don't like trusting my gut. I like seeing numbers. So yeah. I want to compare the two off and go. I think sometimes, yeah, yeah, you've got to test the um, idea. And I'll I'll just talk about a couple of other ideas that I was thinking of when we were chatting about knowing whether the idea will do well. So one example of um, my brother-in-law's dad is a a beekeeper and he's got about 100 or 200 hives and he's always got tons of of wax that he sells to a big company and gets sort of pennies on the dollar sort of return on it. And then there's this real interest for a lot of families to make wax-covered sort of um, wraps that you put your kid sandwiches in and stuff like that. Have you seen those yep, those yep, wax yep. products? So You know, I, you know they've gone big when you can buy them at Woolworths. Yeah. I thought, that's interesting. He's sort of not getting a lot of money for the wax, but these people are looking for wax online and stuff like that. And I started looking online and thinking, you know, I could buy the wax off Noel and then um, you render it down and to make small sort of like ingots of it and sell it. And I was looking at, you know, 250 gram blocks of wax for say selling for 15 or $20 where he might get uh, for say a kilo, he might get a couple of bucks. So I thought, or rather than like buying the, the wax melter that renders it down and you put it into nice blocks and stuff like that. I just took some photos off the internet of these wax ingots and put it on Facebook Marketplace and just said, you know, beeswax for sale, $15, $15, blah, 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 for making, and I listed all the different things you could do it. And I say I had eight eight to 12 people contact me. I'm interested, have you got some? And I basically said, oh, look, I'm sorry, I'm sold out and sort of had had a list. And then, you know, I had them, you know, bugging me again and again, you know, if you've still got this stuff. And I didn't end up even going down the path of doing this idea. I think I just sort of thought about, oh, that's, again, time, as I say, 
say I was studying and applying for this new role. So I had to really focus on that. That was sort of my, my side hustle, I guess, trying to get this intensive care qualification. Yeah. But that was a way of like, you don't have to have a website. You don't have to buy any products. You don't have to have a business plan. You don't have to have a trust. You don't have to have anything. You can just sort of put a post online and sort of fake it till you make it. And I had a list of people and I'm like, I've got interest in this product. That's something I can do. Another one that you can do, and I've, I've done this because it's just my downtime product, is is buying Weber barbecues and doing them up. I find them on, online for, say, $100 and I sold one the other day for $370 after I'd sort of sprayed the top and cleaned it up. And I, I know a guy who's, you know, he does about 300 a year of these so he makes substantial money all on marketplace just doing something it's not like easy work or anything like that but a side hustle doesn't have to be a big business plan you know you don't have to buy stuff from amazon or go to buying shipments from china and you don't have to have a big blog set up and stuff like that it can be easy and either of those ideas if i had sort of stuck at them i can shut them down overnight because it's all just sort of a cash-based business at the time and it's really just a hobby. Yeah, you can find inspiration anywhere and you don't need a website. You, literally, you could run that entire side hustle you just said on Marketplace. With a mobile phone yep. with a well, 3G, preferably 4G connection. Yep. Have a Facebook account, which is free. Yep. Access to Marketplace. That's where you buy your good. So you're yep. basically flipping, right? So yep. you're buying a Weber. Um, you're buying, and I guess like you set up all the alerts so that you find cheap ones when they come online. That's right. Yeah, and you, you, there's a time investment of finding the raw product and, and negotiating yep. a lower price. And that's where you've got to be willing. Like the whole word of hustle is you have to hustle. So if you if you are setting the alerts, you have to be willing to say, "I'm going to check marketplace, and if if I find one, I'll make an offer that I know I can make a profit." And I'll make sure I go and pick it up straight away and pay cash and I've got money ready and all this sort of stuff. So it's not just like, oh, yeah, I'll pick it up in a few weeks because you're you're trying to get ahead of the, the rest of the punters who are just looking for a barbecue. That's for an example. Yeah. So you have to be willing to put in some work. But I think in terms of like making a side hustle work, if you're looking to make two to $500 a, a week, if you're willing to do some work and pressure wash and get, get dirty, that's like as simple as it gets in terms of hustling to make a little bit of money on the side. You can end up making five hundred to a thousand dollars a week if you're really willing to sort of source them, and if you're in a, you know a high population area. And I guess really what you're saying is you could look at Marketplace or Gumtree or wherever it is. I guess in the states, Craigslist. If it's is that even a thing still? Anyway, mm-hmm. where you've got an item that has lots of listings and is selling lots so and is popular so like a Weber barbecue is an awesome example because every every week and every weekend people are clearing out sheds and they've got an old Weber and they're getting rid of it some people are moving house they've had it for a year and they just need to get rid of it they don't know what it's worth they drop it on for like 100 bucks 200 bucks when in reality if you've got a little bit of time up your sleeve and you can let it sit there for a week or two you might get 400 450 370 that's right so another good um, high turnover product is iPhones but you have to have a fair bit of cash up your sleeve to to buy the phones I've seen guys flip those or like say tandem trailers and another one I thought of is um, you get through the stage of having your young kids and you've got like we had a, a bugaboo a stroller or a pram and they're still sought after so people when they've got kids stuff they just want to get rid of the cot or the stroller or the uh, the bassinet that clips into all that stuff like if you're willing to go and pick those things up and pay a cheaper price and then clean them up you can make money on that because you know it's going to sell that stuff people are always looking for it and yeah. I think it's also like it's a good thing for the for the environment and for the the small economy you know you're not putting the money back into the manufacturers that are getting things made 
from yeah. start, you're you're recycling these things in, back into the community. So, I think uh, marketplaces very much people don't appreciate how much there is business potential in it if you're willing to be strategic and and look and set alerts and all that sort of stuff. Back to the flame weeder. Yeah, we've sort of gone all the way through. You've launched it. You've got your first customer. How how did you market this to your your known audience like was it like you, you said yeah pre-work with it but like so I, I did a lot of work there's a couple of like specific you know i think it's called the australian market garden success group on on facebook so basically again i i was selling it like i had it ready before i'd even made it so i was like selling before i paid for it or in, invested in the idea because that helped me understand whether this is just an idea i've had and no one actually wants it it's not as good as an idea as i think or whether people are willing to pay for it so I basically sort of put some pictures up of some other, the old flame leaders, you know, is anyone interested in one of these in Australian made stainless steel, blah, blah, blah. And I had people just, you know, posting us at, you know, and then I put a link to a Google forms thing just in the, in the chat. And this group is sort of small. There's probably only at the time there was, I think, you know, a couple of thousand to five to 10,000 members. So there, there wasn't a lot of people in it. So it wasn't sort of getting bombarded and just put a Google forms link in, you know, but what do you want? What, what size what do you think you're willing to pay for it what are the features you want all this sort of stuff and then I, I had a spreadsheet that that was sort of linked to and then I had all these emails and I had what they wanted and I started to see commonalities of what they wanted and they basically helped me design the product from scratch in terms of this is what the target market wants and this is this is the features they want or these are the ones that are commonly asked for and that helped me sort of how many signups did you get from that group Oh, like like it's, no, it was probably, you know, say up to 30 to 50 or something like that, you know. Like, yeah, okay, so. But if you're selling, like, at the time, I think I think the full unit product sold for, say, $1,400. And I ended up, sort of, it sort of there was three products in it. There was the, the flame weather that had this thing, mani- a fire burner manifold, but it, it came with a trolley with wheels. So but then I just. rolled across the top of a bed, yeah, yeah. basically just, like, yeah. scorching the earth so that if you had a bed of carrots, it just wipes everything. Yeah. And which is different to the one I have, which you'll see in the in the notes, which yeah. is yes, yeah. that's the weed one, the one that the one you've got. So then I, I sort of tried to make it modular. So rather than just selling the trolley, I thought, well, sending the trolleys is a pain in the ass, and they're hard to manufacture because they're a big product. But I can just sell the manifold because a lot of these market gardeners are sort of they're always hacking together. They've got machinery that's sitting there in piles in these on these farms, and they you know one guy wanted a couple that he could string together. I called it daisy chaining them together. So rather than having a 30-inch bed, he had 60 inches of flame weeds. He had 10, 10 in a row. So I just sold the manifold as a, a part, as, yeah. and that was a good seller because I could literally just – I used to go out to the uh, the golf course. I was a good golfer when I was younger, and I'd get the old golf boxes. The clubs come in, and I'd package them in those and send them off because it was just a small thing, whereas the other one I had to wrap up, and that was like – I think of like a failure. I remember sending out the first five orders, and I sent one to Tassie, and the guy rang me up, and he's like, oh, it's missing about six pieces, mate. Like, And he was really good about it, but yeah. I hadn't put any strapping on it. I just sort of taped it up, and then you realize like, oh, the, uh, the truckies that, you know, ship this stuff, they don't give a shit that – <laughs> yeah. you put your uh your blood work and tears into this you know like they and it just i was like that's just so stupid looking back to it but that's the stuff you sort of realize as you do things and as i said i prided myself on my customer service so that was like you know where i was making making losses by sending out you know seconds of this equipment because i've lost parts and all that sort of stuff so i sort of mm-hmm. tightened it up you know over the time i was running it to where i i had it pretty well 
sorted out of how I would ship these things. And I did it all in-house. It was no, There was no outsourcing or anything like that. Yeah. Again, like, if I look across a lot of what you've said today, you have tapped into your network. So you said you've got friends that are lawyers. You had a guy that was an engineer. It was like a whole bunch of people in your network that you were able to tap that were experts that largely you probably didn't even have to pay them to get, and, right. and get access. You get pretty good advice that's directionally correct that gives you the confidence to move forward. So that stuff is the stuff that you can pay for. You can, in a side hustle, you should be, your ultimate goal should be to get it off the ground without paying any money. That's right. How can you get it to the market for the minimum outlay? Because you might be sitting on an absolute dud you don't want to drop 10 grand on this, That's five right. grand, like yeah. 100 grand. Like you want to get to the market. The example of the ingots is getting to market without even having created the product. You've got a photo of the product and you're testing it. And in this case, you know, you've hit a problem. I feel like you can't really test these problems. Like the only way to test it is to actually try to post one of these things. That's right. And then it gets to the other end. Like I had a similar thing with a poultry farm. It was a quite a niche we got a lot of requests from interstate to start sending this. We had people set up toll accounts, and we were all of a sudden shipping poultry, which is a commodity. <laughs> it never gets put on air freight, right? Yeah. So there's no boxes for it. <clears throat> so all of a sudden, I had to go find boxes, and the only thing that is comparable that people are putting on planes and sending all over the world is fish. Yeah. So I had to use, like, Spanish mackerel boxes, <laughs> pack dead chickens into it, with you know um, cold packs yeah. and post it to Tassie, right? And yeah. Hope that it gets there. And then the the butcher at the other end opens it up, pulls out his thermometer thing and checks it, rings me up and says, "Mate, you're gonna have to go easy on the ice. They're all frozen." So, <laughs> oh, it's better to go that way, I guess. Yeah, like I mean, the equivalent of losing bolts would have been you got there and the chickens are twenty five degrees. Yeah, they're, they're half cooked. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like we, and because it's a food thing, you err on the side of caution, and then it's like, okay, we learn, and then we figure out like there's a there's a, there's weight, a system to this, a, a yeah. weight to ice sort of ratio that you're looking for, and because you have to weigh it all because it's all air freight anyway, and you also want to lay out the ice packs in a certain way over the top of the chicken because the cold goes down as yes. opposed to if you put the ice packs in the bottom, the tops get hot and they don't really get cold. Anyway, that, so... And that's... That, I think you're hitting a good point there about the more you can sort of think from the start about how to systematize this, like the big businesses in the world run amazing systems. Like I used to work at McDonald's and, you know, it's 15-year-olds running a, a rest, oh, restaurant, you'd call it, but, a, you know, a fast food place because cool. the systems are all foolproof to run. Yeah. And if you can make these systems for your side hustle early on and think about, okay, big picture here, I'm just say I'm, I'm selling one Weber. But if you're setting alerts or you can work, I think there's some ways to like hack Facebook Marketplace so you can get alerts from all over Victoria, not just in your hometown for when oh, the webers come up and things like that. that frustrating circle, yeah. Yeah. So if you can sort of think about systems from the start of, you know, like, for example, say using a, a cloud-based, I use zero for my accounting. Like, don't, don't sort of sting on things where it's going to take you ages to keep up with your books and know where you are with you. Like, I think it's important to know your cash flow. If you're starting to make a reasonable amount of income, you need to know where your money's going month to month. And sort of spend yeah. the money on things like cloud-based accounting and stuff. You don't have to do it straight away, but you should sort of have that in your mind to sort of transition to a system space. Yeah, I was going to throw thing. the caveat in that my view is minimum viable product, uh, which is you. I'm happy to operate out of a spreadsheet and use some 
iPhone app that generates invoices to get yep. the first invoice out. Like I'm happy to like super dodgy to get it going yep. and just track it all on a spreadsheet. Yeah. The minute that I get to a point, whether it's one week in or six months in, six months is too far probably, but where you realize this is a going concern. This is going to be something that's going to be around for a while. I do not want to figure out and like, I don't want to try to do a bank wreck against this crap in the spreadsheet. I immediately go to, I need to get onto a piece of software, whether it's MYOB, QuickBooks, Zero, yep. any of those platforms will largely carry you through to a fairly substantial operation, which yes, is important right. because if you choose a crappy product, like I see people do the, they go get a app and they start running their company on an app and it gets to a certain size and then all of a sudden you need an accountant and the accountant's like, well, I don't support that. I support MYOB, QuickBooks, it's Zero, right. etc. So then you're changing platforms. Now it's a nightmare. The chart of accounts is changing. This is all going yeah, up right. you know, quick. You can be the best bookkeeper in the world, but if your business is shit, it's still shit. That's Whereas right. You can be the worst You can polish a turd, but it's still a turd. <laughs> you, can, you can be the, the best businessman in the world and the worst bookkeeper, and know that I'm just going to outsource that. That's, and that's, my and I, I did that sort of stuff um, from time yeah. to time. And again, I've, I've got a really good mate who's my accountant as well, and he was really helpful with setting some of that stuff up. But it's also, it again, it helps you understand like cash flow and all these things. So mm. sometimes like having a bit of a hold on it at the start is, yeah. is a good idea. Like some people are listening to all this stuff, big, big picture manufacturing and you know, cloud-based accounting and stuff. Like one of the simplest things for the Australian listeners is the, I think it's the NAB business account. You can open it up online. It's free account. Like there's no monthly fees and you can start a business with that. And I think that's a good way to just say you have a, an idea for doing the web as, a, as a, an example. You're like, oh, I'll, I'll do this through the books and I'll, I'll try to set it up as a business. I've got a few expenses to start with. Open an NAB account and put $1,000 into the account and then pay for you some of your expenses like your cleaning products and stuff like that. So then if it does gain any traction, you've got all your – I think the the best thing you can do is just segregate those numbers off rather than just have it out of your your general spending account. So then you can sort of look, oh, I put $1,000 into it and now I've got $3,000 in there and I can, can sort of get all that um, accounting stuff up to date. It doesn't have to be done right from the start, but at least you've sort of got a bit of a paper trail. I think having a basic – and I mean basic understanding of – gross profit net profit that sort of stuff is important you can just do just being half reasonable at a spreadsheet excel is a good book that i got onto when i was doing my micro training and had the farm and stuff like that was getting things done by david allen and his his sort of mantra is your brain's for having ideas not for remembering them and your brain basically categorizes like going to the shops and picking up milk with the same importance as you know, getting the flame weeder parts done, like everything, your your brain thinks they're all they're all important and they all need to be done straight away. So if you I heavily rely on my task management software as being like a second brain, that way you, you actually have space in your head to be creative because you you rely on the the software to remember all those things and set reminders and stuff like that. And that's when you really get that system based power behind you and you sort of start to make progress. I reckon we're wrapping up. I got two more. Just what would you do differently? It's open-ended. You can apply it to like back at the start, how you, why you chose it. You can apply it to the, the list of ideas that you originally had, you know, the launch, the yeah. business when you were operating. I think I'd probably just try It's hard to sort of think of things you'd change because there, there was reasons for delay, but probably yeah, stop stalling and get, get the product out there would be one. 
and that the the product can change and it did and it went on to something that was my best seller in the business i would have only discovered once i sort of launched the initial product so if you've got an idea just just do it stop putting it off you reach a point where you've and this is where everyone fails right a lot of people fail it's like i got a hundred ideas i can't decide because you haven't committed in reality all of the ideas might be excellent all of them might be crap but all we can do at that, that point in time is apply the skills you have in that particular moment, use your network of people around you to give you the best advice possible, and then literally make your mind up and commit and say, this is happening. Like, Yes. I, I, it feels insane that I'm about to be the CEO of a flame weeder company. <laughs> and that is exactly what you did. You just commit to this project and get it done. Yeah. And I think the other thing to say, like we were talking about, you don't realize how much time it is. If you've got weighing up a couple of ideas and, and one perhaps saying, easier it depends on like your circumstances for doing it and the time you have but whether you're running like my I, I figure my business was a small very small business but if you're deciding between a small opportunity and a larger opportunity and you think the the larger opportunity will take a lot more time and money and stuff like that that's not necessarily the case and the small business can take up just as much of your time so what i've learned going forward is like aim bigger for things because sometimes they they require just the amount of the amount of time but you've got more upside reward on on the other side of it yeah, okay. I guess that for you comes from a place of confidence where that's you've right. at least got something under your belt. That's and right. So, and that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so for somebody that's completely starting out, you can you might even say like you, you're you're a human being, providing you know you're somewhat young and you know less than the age of seventy. You've got six months. This is like just literally a thought experiment. You have got six yeah. months. Do a startup. Choose the smallest one out of the ideas you can. Yeah fire it up and six months time unless it's making you a mozza you're shutting it down that's right and you're going to learn about what you did and just what bits sucked about it what which bits were awesome etc etc and then you take all of that into your second one which at this point like this is where you can dare to dream big right because you've got more confidence that's right and that's probably what i did with the cool bot like I think six months is even too long. Even look at look at a problem that you, that you have yourself in your own. Everyone's got to know their own problem that they can solve, and they have the ability that makes them unique in whatever background they've got. Look at what other people if they have the same problem, and try to solve that as quick as you can, and not have not be like I have to make hundred thousand dollars with with this side hustle. Just think about I'm just going to try to make a sale and do it within two months of this idea and. As I say, Marketplace or Gumtree, eBay, they're good ones to start up because there's no mucking around with websites and all that stuff that can seem like you're making progress in the idea, but you're really just wasting time because yeah. I think it's just it just gets you thinking this way and then bigger ideas can develop over time. With those types of things like flipping things, like whether it be furniture or phones or uh, webbers, it's the barrier to entry is no longer resources of the physical nature, so cash or your time or anything. The constraint is just the good idea. So basically trying to find a product that turns over on marketplace lots, that lots of people are trying to sell, lots of people are trying to buy, and injecting yourself into the middle of the transaction when someone's dumping something because they just need to get rid of it. Yep. And at that moment when they need to get rid of it, that Weber is actually a liability. Yeah, like it's. Um, I've started looking at the higher ticket prices, like the tandem trailers, because you know you can you can always sell them. And often, as you say, it's people, they're in a hurry to get rid of it for some reason. Yeah, I mean, similar. I see similar stuff occasionally with drones where someone has gone and bought a new drone that upgraded. They've got this one that's like last season's, last year's. They just want it gone. 
Like, they, they put a fairly low price on it. Someone buys it, they put new propellers on it, they clean it all up, they buff it up, and then they drop it back on marketplace for another three four $400. Like, That's right. Those opportunities and those high-ticket items, it's kind of boundless. Really. They're always there. Like, yeah, it's always there, and it's always changing because, like, the products that are available for sale, like Kindles or laptops or whatever, like, there's such a long list of things that come up on marketplace yeah. that you're literally only constrained by finding the idea and figuring out can you add enough value in the middle of the transaction to make a hustle out of it. Mm. And that's um, like where you say, stay inquisitive. Like I look at people like a guy flipping mowers, lawnmowers, they just do them up, change the gasket, put some paint on them, go to their link and look, are they selling other ones of these? Is this just a one-off or are they... And then you see they've got 12 mowers and you're like, oh, this is their side hustle. That's what they're doing on the side. So it obviously does all right. And then you can go... I'll just copy that. Like, don't worry about copying these things. They're copying someone else and no one's got a unique idea. So just do it. One of the corkers I saw, and just recently, uh, an old guy on the sunny coast, I think it is, his side hustle, and he's, I think he's on a pension and he's, I think he had some physical disability, but he literally charges a flat $99 or $150 or something like that I come to your house yeah. and I clean your barbecue. And so all these people that are like, you know, they've got two jobs, they've got the kids, and they just like sit on the balcony on the weekends barbecuing, whatever, and they just like their barbecue's a disaster. They literally find this guy on Marketplace. They pay him his nine bucks. <laughs> they become friends. They normally offer him yeah. tea and coffee and whatever and lunch. And he just plods away yeah. at it because it's a fixed price job. So he can take as long and, and have as many breaks as he wants. So this is all just like um, yeah. supplementing his income and he, you know, maybe he's buying his medical. I don't know, whatever he's buying. Who knows what he's yeah. doing with his money? But um, buying his beer. Yeah, yeah, it's probably beer money. So like, yeah, you know, get get out of the village for a while. I think that's great. Like, it, it's he's solving a problem. So you know, and the more you can do that, the better. Like, big picture too. If you want, if yeah. you wanted to literally side hustle, you could literally create a website called We Clean Barbecues. You literally place yeah. ads out to hire retired people that are looking to socialize and whatever. Now, COVID's probably blowing a hole in this because no one wants people in the house. But if you're semi-retired or retired, this you, you sign up to this website, they find you all the jobs, you put a cap on it, say, I don't want to earn over 150 bucks a week, it'll damage my pension, but I want 150 yeah. bucks a week in jobs. They find the jobs, the bookings come through, they take a booking fee, barbecues get cleaned, everyone feels good that they got to support part of the elderly community in Australia, you got right. clean barbecue, and someone made some cash on the side. Like, I, I just made that side hustle up just then. Like... That's or someone right. else, and that's how up. that's how easy it is. This has been totally awesome. To wrap it up, final couple sentences from you. The audience of this podcast are either looking for an idea to start, they have an idea but they don't know how to start it. They're floundering around the start or the launch, or they're just inquisitive in the whole process. Do you have any sort of final, like, just through your entire adventures? tips tricks advice yeah i think important is just to have a crack and don't worry about what the naysayers or cynics think you know what people often do is they stress test their idea to their friends who haven't opened their eyes to this world of business so they'll just always pick fault with things and they'll find you a hundred reasons why it can't succeed try to not not listen to that and seek out people that have done it well so again it's just so the mower idea reach out to those people and, and just get strike up a conversation a lot of people are happy to share 
information with you. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll take their idea, but try to associate yourself with people that are doing these things and your mind will open up and you'll be amazed like where it can sort of lead you. That's just taking action and, and having a go at it is the important thing. Michael Hingston, thank you very much for taking the time to open your side hustle kimono. I know that I've learned a couple of things and I know that the audience of the Sideshow Hustle will be walking away contemplating their ideas, how to start their side hustles, you know, their motivators, making their side hustle work for them and their lifestyle. I think that's something important that you've highlighted through the show. Thank you for sharing your side hustle. You've been listening to the Sideshow Hustle Podcast.